0: Hi, I'm Mike Sibley, leader of the James Moore Manufacturer Team. On this episode of More on Manufacturing, we're joined by Melody Lechleidner, James Moore's Director of State and Local Tax. Uh, Melody's got a ton of experience in state and local taxes, so we thought this would be a very timely uh, discussion given uh, middle of the year manufacturers are always thinking about taxes and risks and you know risks to their businesses and so what we wanted to do is talk about the risk of non-compliance with state and local taxes particularly with some changes in laws recently with some court rulings that Melody will go over And also, you know, really talking about the risk of non-compliance as it relates to selling your business and the risk on the value of your business. So this is a really good topic, a timely topic. Uh, We're seeing a lot of manufacturers, particularly new clients coming in that haven't assessed their risk before, haven't looked at it, haven't thought about it. And it's something that normally only rears its head when you're selling a business or all of a sudden you're in a state or uh, local uh, sales tax audit. And so... Again, we're going to we're gonna talk to Melody about this. And Melody, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Um, so why don't we just jump right in and let's start on the sales tax side of things. And, you know, we're going to talk about sales tax. We're going to talk about state income taxes. But talking about sales tax in general, maybe talk to us a little bit about the risks that manufacturers face. A lot of manufacturers oftentimes may not even realize that sales tax applies to them but it can uh, in in a couple different ways, both buying and selling. So
1: maybe you can talk to us a little bit about generally that risk. Sure. So as you mentioned, there's really the two components to it. There's the buying piece and then ultimately the selling of the product that they've manufactured. So I think on the buying piece, manufacturers just have to be cognizant of what the rules are on their purchases. Um, So, of course, a lot of the items that they purchase that ultimately get used in producing the product, those would be sales exempt from sales tax. Um, But, you know, there's other things that they might be purchasing in their day-to-day business that don't ultimately get consumed in in creating the product that wouldn't be subject or wouldn't be exempt from sales tax. They would be subject to sales tax. Um, And the idea there is kind of if you're going to produce a product that you then ultimately sell, sell, the sale would be subject to sales tax in the end. So we're trying to avoid a little bit of that double taxation uh, but I think it's just really important that manufacturers pay attention to what it is they're purchasing and what those purchases, how they're ultimately used, and keep those records um, in case they ever have to explain why it was that they paid sales tax or didn't pay sales tax.
0: So let's dig into that a little bit more. So let's let's so, for example, I always think of like supplies. So supplies that may be consumed in the production process, but don't go into The actual product itself so you might have I don't know towels uh, you know small tooling other things like that that are just used as part of the production process those would be subject to them paying sales tax is that correct
1: yes generally that would be the case
0: okay and then generally speaking uh, like equipment compute they buy computers to be used internally things like that are subject to sales tax although there's some exemptions that will talk about a little bit later on the manufacturing side. But generally speaking, that's the case as well.
1: Yes. So, um, right. We'll talk about manufacturing equipment a little bit. But outside of that, computers, things that they have just to run their day to day business, those would still be subject to sales tax. Okay.
0: And, you know, sometimes, you know, with online, I know it's getting better with online purchases and things like that, but I know sometimes they're not always charged uh, sales tax, even though they're required that's their responsibility, correct, to know
1: when they're supposed to be paying sales tax? It is, so if they purchase something that they think they should pay sales tax on, that they didn't pay sales tax on, it is still ultimately their responsibility to pay the sales tax or potentially the use tax in the state that they're using if they're crossing state boundaries and purchasing from another state and using it in a different state. Um, then they would ultimately owe the use tax to the extent that they didn't pay sales tax in the jurisdiction that they purchased from. So it's really important that they pay attention to where they're being charged sales tax, where they're not being charged sales tax, and thinking about how they're using the items they're purchasing.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So then let's let's look on the selling side of things. So I'm selling. So there there could be two possible, well, there could be many scenarios but let's just take two general one i'm selling to somebody else who's further manufacturing it or i am selling to uh somebody else who is the end user of that and of course then you can break it down and there's you know always items like medical items that may be exempt or not but let's let's assume it doesn't fall under that but let's if i'm selling so maybe talk to us about you know selling for somebody for further manufacture versus an end user
1: Sure. So if they are selling to someone that's a wholesaler or, or further refining the product, typically that would be exempt from sales tax. So what's important, though, is that they receive an exemption certificate from the purchaser uh, and that our manufacturer maintains that exemption certificate and keeps those records. uh, Because at some point, if they're ever audited or someone comes looking and asks why they didn't collect and remit sales tax, that exemption certificate is going to be the proof um, as to why they didn't collect and remit that sales tax. So that's if they're selling, again, to a wholesaler or someone that's further manufacturing the item. If they're ultimately selling to an end user or a direct consumer of the product then that would typically be subject to sales tax now this area has had a lot of expansion over the last couple years with the wayfair decision i'm sure everyone's heard that phrase the wayfair case um, and it's really changed a lot of the sales tax rules um, in um, selling um, products particularly across the internet and across state lines um, and so historically, there were some protections from companies uh, when they crossed state lines in their sales that they didn't necessarily have nexus or the obligation to collect and remit sales tax to those from those end consumers. But now with Wayfair, the the landscape has drastically changed. Um, many states have in place different thresholds, um, assuming there's no other nexus with a jurisdiction, mm-hmm. that once they cross over those thresholds, they are then on the hook for collecting and remitting um, sales tax from those end users. So those thresholds, of course, vary by state, um, but they they can be uh, transactional based. So the number of transactions that they have mm-hmm. in a particular jurisdiction Or they can be, um, you know, the amount of the transactions, the dollar value associated with those transactions, or they can be a combination of both. Um, And even since the Wayfair decision, when states started implementing these rules, um, we've seen evolution even in the thresholds in the last few years. So they've moved, many states have moved away. I think in, in the beginning, strictly based on the Wayfair case, there was both the transactional and the dollar value Component, if you reached either of those, then you had the obligation to collect and remit. Um, but we've seen a lot of states move away from the transactional number, quantity number, and move more towards the dollar value. So, and there are now Wayfair type rules in all 50 jurisdictions. So, um, for a while, it was taking a while for the states to kind of come on board. But this last year, um, as of now, all states have some type of wayfair rules um, on their books. So when you're selling to an in consumer, it's very important that a manufacturer be mindful of those rules and really track their sales so that they know if they've triggered um, those limitations and they've crossed over them and then they have a duty to collect and remit.
0: Okay, so clearly the risk just continues to, to increase for manufacturers, really for all companies, but you know manufacturers right. often you know, sales tax can be one of those things like we talked about, there's cases where it applies, it doesn't apply, you know, it can be by item. I mean, there's so many different rules affecting manufacturers probably more so than any other other entities out there just because of the rules vary so much on, on production, who you're selling to, how you're selling it, how you getting it there? You know, all these different yep. things. So clearly it's a, it's a pretty big risk. And, and, you know, one thing you, you mentioned Nexus, and I want to jump into that in a second here, but one other thing that, you know, I, I think presents itself as a, as a risk for manufacturers, or at least what I've seen is, you know, oftentimes they have an operating entity, then they have their entity that holds the real estate that they're renting the real estate from, you know, and they're not paying sales tax on that rent. And, Correct me if I'm wrong, but that that is still, you know, I know it's been tried. They've tried to change it over the years, but there's still sales tax due on those rentals. Correct?
1: Yes, that's correct. There's still sales tax on, you know, commercial rent. Uh, they kind of mess with the rate here and there, mm-hmm. trying to to adjust it, maybe lift a burden a little bit from, um, from some taxpayers, but it does still, it's still out there. Um, I think another one too is around like cars leasing of, um, vehicles. So if you use vehicles in your, you know, delivery or manufacturer process of, you know, transporting goods from one place to another, I've seen that before too, where maybe one entity purchases Mm -hmm. the vehicles and then they're leased to you know the different locations, and that's subject to sales tax as well. So you know something to keep in mind to you know there as well.
0: Okay, well, great. Well, so let's say so I just mentioned Nexus a minute ago, and I know that comes into play with state income taxes. And I think this is where you know sales tax sometimes I think uh, becomes kind of the forgotten tax, and it's becoming more of a risk. And but we always joke around that you know if you're dealing in multi-state, you know, so in Florida, you know you have the rules. Uh, you can get by. But then if you're multi-state, these states want their little piece of the pie if they can get it right. So they, in, in the last 10 years, it feels maybe 15 years, we see continued step up of enforcement, uh, changing their own rules, trying to get their piece of any pie that anybody's coming into their state on. So let, let's talk about state income taxes and where that risk for comes into play for our, our manufacturing community.
1: Yeah, sure. So you're right. Um, they've definitely gotten more aggressive over the years and more creative in the way they try to tax various revenue streams. Um, so nexus in general just really means, you know, that level of connection that you have with the state that would ultimately try, trigger a filing obligation. Um, and there's various rules on when you kind of crossed over that threshold, and what keeps it interesting is, you know, income tax nexus can be different than sales tax nexus. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about sales tax and the thresholds that have kind of come in place with with uh, Wayfair. In the income tax world, um, there's some nuance there as well. You know, certainly if you have physical presence in a state, so you've got people working there, you've got property, you've got equipment, or you've got inventory, that's another one that's, you know, technically property that you need to be mindful if you've got inventory going through a state uh, in a warehouse or passing through. Um, You know, those can trigger nexus. Physical presence will almost always get you there. Um, You've got that filing obligation once you've got that physical presence. Uh, But beyond that, um, you know, the Nexus has really evolved over the years and ideas around economic presence and affiliate, um, you know, Nexus, those ideas have really grown um, in recent years. Kind of thinking about the way our, you know, development of products and shipping products and all that, it's really changed. Um, and so the rules are kind of trying to keep pace with the, the changes in the environment. Um, there is still uh, public law 86 two seventy two on the books. Um, So that is an important federal law that provides some limitation uh, to the taxing power of states on um, those that sell tangible personal property. So manufacturers would definitely fall into that bucket. Um, And that law really um, kind of draws a line where the state can um, tax a a company. So if you are a manufacturer and you have your presence in, you know, the states that you've identified, you already have the equipment, the people, but you are selling to customers that are maybe other jurisdictions where you don't really have any physical presence, that public law, you know, protects um, manufacturers from being taxed for income tax purposes in jurisdictions where they just are simply delivering uh, a good to a client. Now, you have to be careful on how they're delivering the goods. So they need to make sure they're using a common carrier. If they're bringing their own trucks in to the state, then that would certainly give them physical presence, which would then give them the nexus. Um, but, you know, you see this a lot in today in the internet world. If you're using, if you're selling goods on the internet and and using Amazon or other common carriers to deliver your goods, then you're really kind of shielded from uh, the tax liability in those jurisdictions where you simply have a customer. Um, I think another element of the public law that's probably relevant for manufacturers is with salespeople. Mm -hmm. Um, The public law is an older law. So it's really written around the time that, You know, there was like that door-to-door salesman that came around knocking on the door, selling, trying to sell a vacuum cleaner. Um, But the the law really outlines things that salespeople can and can't do in terms of crossing over that nexus threshold. So, you know, if you've just got that door-to-door salesman knocking on the door, maybe showing the good as an example – you know you're still you're still protected. Um, it's where that salesperson kind of crosses over into making decisions about. You know they can accept orders, but or I'm sorry, they can't accept orders. They can receive orders, but you know someone else needs to really be making that decision on accepting or rejecting the order. Um, presumably, they would send that back to their home base, and you know someone there would really be making that decision. So if they cross over into those decision making type powers, then they've really you know, triggered that nexus and the company can have a filing obligation. Um, I think it's also important to highlight for that public law, it really is only for income tax purposes. So we talked about the aggressiveness of the states and one of the ways they're becoming more aggressive is by looking at other ways to tax. So, um, gross receipts taxes have really come up here in the last few years. Those would not be protected under the public law. Um, the public law really only addresses income tax. Uh, franchise or net worth taxes is another place that people need to be careful of. So, there are many states that have both an income and a franchise tax. And depending on the type of entity they are, they could be exempt. From the income tax for um, because of public law 86272, but then on the hook for the franchise tax uh, because they don't have those protections with that tax.
0: Okay, so, you know, really, gosh, that's a whole lot to think about between sales taxes <laughs> and and state income taxes so i guess really what a manufacturer needs to do is really look at their buying side of things and how what what processes they have in place to make sure they're paying sales tax when it's applicable but then i guess on the sales side of things they really need to review how their sales occur where their sales occur how they're getting their sale you know their products to the ultimate destination and then, you know, so there's a lot of different components to it. And it sounds like really there's not even some of it is not just a, there's some gray area in terms of like the salesperson. And what are they doing? And so and right. each state's going to have their own rules on this. So it's not like you can say, OK, uh, Georgia does it this way. So all other states do it the same exact way. Each state's going to have their own rules. Correct?
1: Absolutely. Yes. Every that's the beauty of state tax. Every <laughs> state has its own rules which keeps it interesting, um, but and they can change them on a whim. So, you know, based on economic circumstances or what's kind of going on, a lot of states look to a state maybe that's a leader in a particular area. You saw that with Wayfair, right? So that was a South Carolina um, – I'm sorry, South Dakota decision – but then all the states piled on immediately after that was sort of sanctioned by the Supreme Court. So, um, yeah, they're all different and they all have their, their nuanced pieces. Now the public law is a federal law, so that does provide protection in all 50 states, but states are really trying to chip away at that. Um, they don't like that public law. Understandably, it restricts them from taxing. So they're really uh, trying to become more aggressive at chipping away at elements of it. So, you know, companies have to be mindful of that.
0: Sure. That's great points. So, you know, we talk about the compliance side of things and obviously when you're not filing or if you were had an amount due, you could be dealing with penalties and years of back taxes owed and things like that. So that's one side of the risk. The other side of this, and one of the things that we work with companies a lot on is transitioning their company. In other words, selling their company to uh, a third party or even e- even if it goes internal to management or employees or whatever There's a risk on sales and one of the things that we always look at is And this happens in the due diligence. They want to know did you you know, did you file your sales tax? Are you paying? So how are you assessing this stuff? So maybe talk to us a little bit about the risk from You know an entity selling a, a stock deals kind of but even in an asset deal where you're just buying the assets There's risks. So maybe talk to us a little bit about yeah
1: that. sure so Um, You mentioned earlier, sales tax is kind of like the forgotten tax. People forget about it in different elements of their business. Uh, And with so many rules, it's easy to maybe not have paid somewhere um, or collected or remitted where you should have. And I think Wayfair just highlighted, um, you know, potential investors and buyers into really paying more attention to sales tax in particular. This obviously applies to all state taxes, but, you know, sales tax being the biggest one, um, you know, really that is grown over the last couple of years. And, you know, it's important to note that obviously if you've never filed an estate, you've never started the running of a statute of limitations. So um, that's an open liability that can go all the way back to when you first Mm -hmm. triggered that nexus um, in that jurisdiction. And, you know, once investors or buyers look at that, that can really impact the sales price of the company. Um, It also can be something it does. So the thing that's a little bit unique to sales tax is those liabilities also attach to the assets. So, um, you know, I've seen instances where the purchase price is obviously affected, but then the investor requires that the proceeds, some of the proceeds from the purchase price be put in escrow Mm -hmm. um, to deal with that liability in the future if it if, you know, if it ever comes up.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things that, and this comes up and it's one of those things we try to deal with in pre due diligence. In other words, when we're working with a client who's on there trying to sell their company to say, okay, let's, let's make sure if we haven't already, let's, let's see where there's risks because they're going to want to know that. And you're right. They're, they're going to try to, they're going to, the buyer's going to assess this risk and they're going to put escrows in. And if you're looking to get all that and it, they may hold that escrow for a period of, you know, 12 months, 18 months, 24 months. Uh, you know, it's hard to say. that's something that gets negotiated, but certainly, you know, as a seller, you want to get as much of your purchase price as you can right. as soon as you can. And and the more risks there are, the 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 greater the chances are that you're going to ha- end up in a situation like this. And should should the DOR, the Department of Revenue, or some other state come a knocking, now you potentially lose that escrow if there's some if there's fines, penalties, back taxes owed, things like that. So. Certainly a risk there. So thank thank you for talking about that. So the last thing I wanted to just get into a little bit here is um, uh, before we wrap up is there are some sales other sales tax exemptions and in Florida the rules have been around for a long for quite a recently on manufacturing equipment but also on you know electricity it's kind of been around for for some period of time. So maybe just they're lesser known. Some manufacturers know about it, some don't, but maybe you could talk about you know, those two in particular that, that manufacturers could be thinking about.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I'll say if you think about manufacturing as a broad category, I think it's also important to note that depending on what type of industry within manufacturing, there can be some very specific exemptions that Um, people may not be aware of. So sort of like an unexpected, you know, hey, surprise, we can be exempt from tax when we're buying, you know, XYZ. So it's important that manufacturers pay attention to, um, you know, the manufacturing rules as a whole. But then also there's a lot of, you know, specific carve outs depending on the industry that they're in. Um, In terms of manufacturing equipment, you know, generally uh, the equipment that they use to produce the, the good that they're ultimately selling um, is exempt from sales tax. Um, so, you know, we talked a little bit about other types of equipment or things they use in their business that would be subject to sales tax. But the equipment that they're using in their, you know, the day to day manufacturing process um, is usually exempt from sales tax. And then, in terms of kind of other things to think about, you you mentioned the utilities. So, utilities that they're, the portion of the utilities that they're utilizing in, again, their manufacturing process, or even potentially fuel, depending on, you know, what it is that they're doing, those could be exempt from tax as well. Um, So, that's something to think about. Um, If they're currently paying tax on that, there might be, you know, a refund opportunity there. Um, But again, it really just comes down to, being mindful of the costs that, that are incurred in producing, where those costs are occurring, and keeping good records on um, the items that they then need or they're seeking the exemption for.
0: Great. Thank you for sharing that. That, that That's good news for, I know, manufacturers who may or may not you know, know that uh, by now, but it's something certainly to think about. I think the manufacturing equipment was a little more publicized, but utilities are something that, you know, a little bit more complicated. How do you separate it out? And I know there's ways to do it and there's there's things to do, but it's something to at least be mindful about. Melody, thank you so much for all of this information. This is this was a lot in a in a very short amount of time, but I think we cut right to the issues, and I really appreciate you uh, getting to that point uh, and getting us there. And you know, for everybody listening, this is a very complicated area. It's it's filled with risk, unfortunately, but uh, certainly it's never too late to start looking at it and thinking about it, particularly if you've got you know, a sale of your business coming down the road at some point, you want to get on this as soon as possible. So uh, as always for our listeners, please reach out if you have questions or or follow-up questions. And again, thank you for joining us today.
1: To learn more about James Moore & Company's manufacturing services, go to jmco.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our More on Manufacturing series to receive updates when new videos and podcasts are released. If you'd like to be a guest, or if there's a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, contact us on our website. You can also follow us on social media for more news as the landscape on manufacturing continues to rapidly evolve.